talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Stephen Means. That's Nathan Baird, and that's Andrew Gillis. This is another rapid fire pod here on your Tuesday pod for rapid fire. Get the text 614-350-3315 if you want to participate in questions and surveys, get news analysis, two-week free trial, $399 after that, 614-350-3315. We're just going to get straight into it. From the 614, if the NCAA were to increase to 15 full-time coaches, what do you think the ideal ad slash promotions in parentheses specific people or just positions would be to this current staff? So Nathan, obviously we've talked about that a lot. The idea that maybe the NCAA was potentially going to extend or push past that 10 man limit in terms of assistant coaches. That hasn't actually happened yet, even though it's been talked about for a while now. So we're just going to live in a hypothetical world here. Let's just say Ohio State could hire 15 people. What would the staff look like? to you in terms of how many numbers on each on each side of the ball where guys would be placed well 15 would at first and foremost would allow you to hire a full-time special teams coordinator without worrying about how it fit into the rest of the balance so i think that's one thing i would do and then that gives you seven on each side of the ball to to work with after that i think you would probably then look for places where adding a assistant you know, for instance, um, you know, for Ohio State, you could have two defensive line coaches and and also a linebackers coach. Like right now, where they're trying to decide between whether they're adding someone up front or promoting James Laurinaitis. This way, you would, you could have both of those things. You could have an assistant offensive line coach because that's a big room to oversee if you're just one guy. And and they've you know, utilized Mike Celine now for a couple of years and as someone that they they really like a lot as a as a GA in that room, but this would give you another full-time assistant coach in that room, especially if you're putting any kind of the bigger game planning responsibilities on your offensive line coach, like they do with Justin Fry, you would have a separate quarterbacks coach. You wouldn't have to pair that with your, um, your offensive coordinator as, as they're trying to do with Bill O'Brien. And as they would probably do with whoever they would replace Bill O'Brien with, if, if, if it comes to that, so there's just a lot of places where you can start to take, you know, Jim Knowles wouldn't have to be the defensive coordinator and the linebackers coach. Bill O'Brien wouldn't, or whoever wouldn't have to be the quarterbacks coach and the offensive coordinator. You start splitting up those things and giving just more, spreading the duties out, letting people have better, bigger focus on specific jobs. Andrew, how would you shape the staff if you got 15 guys to work with, full-time yeah. assistants? That means that's guys who can go out on the recruiting trail and be down on and be basically working with the team full-time and not just GAs and QCs. Yeah, the the thing that I would do is pretty much what Nathan said. I mean, you look at it, you can have every position covered. You, you don't have to have somebody kind of double dip where it's the OC and the quarterback's coach, or, you know, you, you have a, you know, the special teams coordinator is also the linebackers coach or something like that. Like you, you don't need that. You can, you can have every individual position covered quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, et cetera. And every position's covered. And then you've got coordinators on both sides of the ball. But I think what this would allow you to do kind of more, big picture helicopter view would be it would allow you, I think, to take more chances and and kind of look at some staff members and say, Hey, 
this guy is essentially a GA, but we're going to have him on staff as one of our staff members in case of emergency, right? Like, you know, the Larry Johnson situation, I think you look at and say like, we've talked about this on the 10 man staff as being a, a great, you know, potential addition of like, Hey, wouldn't it be great if Ohio state had another defensive line coach that you can point to and say like, Hey, here's this younger kind of ball of energy maybe, or, you know, here's this guy who's, you know, experienced, but we know he's going to be around and you can kind of label him the coach in waiting of that group. I, I think that that would allow you some, some chances to say, especially in a case like Larry Johnson, where, Hey, we're going to bring in a young guy and we're going to say, this guy is going to learn with Larry Johnson. He's going to be in a room with Larry Johnson. And when the time comes, we have a replacement. We have the guy on staff. He knows how things work. He knows how the program operates. And now he's getting elevated. So I think it would allow you, I think, a little bit more of an opportunity to get some chances where you can look at guys and say, you know what? We're going to hire you with the intention of in a year or two, we could see a full-time role for you as the linebackers coach as the tight ends coach or whatever it is, because I think you would be afforded that opportunity. So yeah, I I think you could do that. Uh, I think that that makes the most sense. I am curious, you know, what you could maybe do in terms of, um, you know, in terms of game planning, like, is it worth it to have somebody on staff for a specific role where it's, you know, he's the, the passing game coordinator, the run game coordinator only. Do you feel you need that? Do you need something like that on defense? I, like there, there's a lot of different mixing and matching that you can do. Um, so you could get creative with it, but I think what makes the most sense is just having somebody else at certain positions, big position groups, like Nathan mentioned, where you can just say, you know what, this guy's kind of next and, and we feel good about where we're headed when, uh, whenever this one position head does leave. I would use it that way, but then also any position where there could be you're training for two spots, right? Uh, you see a corner, uh, the defensive back spots. If you're playing safety or cornerback, you also might be dual training at that nickel role. They could probably use an extra guy in those spots. The offensive line, I mean, it's just 15 people. They could probably use an extra guy for help in those situations. Defensive line, you guys have already touched on. It's just, it's a lot of people in that room. So I, I would use it more in that way. Any place where you have a job, but you also might be developing in another job as well. Dual training, as they like to say, I would have multiple people there, but then anywhere also where you just got 10 or more people who just have to be in the room in terms of depth, I would use multiple people in there. And one more question here before we take a break from the 740. And Andrew, we'll start with you this time because you cover recruiting. Which five-star quarterback do you think is a better fit? Air Nolan or Julian Sane? So that's not about who's the better player. I mean, they're 18 years old and they just got there. We don't know who the better players. We just know where they were ranked. But both five-star recruits, both one of the four best quarterbacks in the country, both two freshmen. But Andrew, when you watch them on tape, which one of them do you think from day one just seems like a better fit for what Ohio State's offense is in terms of what you saw last year? Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that because I they are both good. Like at least they were in high school. Uh, obviously, we got to find out what they're going to look like when they get to the pro or when they get, when they get to the pros when they get to Ohio State. We're going to have to kind of see what that um, you know what that mix kind of looks like. I really like Aaron Nolan, but I think Saiyan is the better fit. Um, you know, is they're relatively similar in terms of uh, in terms of size in the pocket. You know, Aaron Nolan's only an inch taller. They both weigh about the same. So the thing that I like about Saiyan is that he's really, really accurate. And accuracy, Mike Leach used to talk about this a lot. You can't teach accuracy. And that was his thing when he was recruiting, which is 
I'm not going to take a high school kid who's never been accurate. And he probably, I think he said something very Mike Leachy, like couldn't hit the broadside of a barn and I'm not going to take him and find the broadside of the barn or something like that. Like that's the level though, that you're talking about. You, you need accuracy. And especially in this offense, you need a player that can deliver the ball over the middle of the field and deliver the ball to receivers because they've got the weapons, right? You know, you've got the, you've got the options that are there. This isn't one of those situations where, hey, man, you got to go win a game by yourself. It's on you. Or you got to go make some plays outside the pocket. Or you got to do some crazy stuff that's going to win us a game because we can't do this without you. I think you can rely on your teammates in that regard. And I think that saying is probably the better fit because, again, the accuracy that he shows is it. I think it would be fair to say it's advanced for his age and it kind of advanced for where he's at. Um, you know, you, you just kind of read about him and you read, talk to people about him and everything like that. There's just a level of knowledge that he has about the game. Like people talk about his football IQ in a really, really high way. Um, so yeah, I, I think saying is the better fit. Uh, now I do think Aaron Nolan can also fit in this offense. Don't get me wrong. Aaron Nolan's a really, really talented player. I just think that saying has a little bit more of the kind of what Ryan day wants out of his quarterbacks, which is you know, smart, deliver the ball, understand the game, control the game. You know, that's something that quarterbacks have to learn. And I think Sam kind of has that right now. So uh, I think the edge goes to Sam. Nathan, what do you think as you've tried to learn up on both of these two new Buckeyes? I, I get what Andrew's saying. I think the best thing for Ohio State is it appears they don't have to make that decision right now based on the quarterback's that they, these two guys have been or even that they are right now in February, first week of February 2024. They get to see who these guys are next February, perhaps, and make the decision then. And I think that's probably a good thing both for Ohio State and for these guys, that you get to have a full year of development, a full year. You know, Sometimes the league that you play in or the competition that you have can put you out in front and a year can – of being in the same program can maybe help equalize that a little bit. Things things like that can happen. Or just the physical growth that can happen in the next year once you're in with, with Mickey Marotti and his group and, and building towards something. So I, I'm i as much as you could, like if you had to make a call right now, I think Andrew might be right because of, frankly, what we saw this past year, which is if this offense demands a lot of quarterbacks, in terms of accuracy, in terms of um, diagnosing things. And I think that C.J. Stroud proved that the arm and the legs are not the most important part of being a quarterback who can thrive in Ryan Day's offense. And physical tools are great, and you need a certain level of physical tools. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, These guys aren't... C.J. Stroud wasn't a complete stiff back there. He wasn't a, a, a or just a robot. But I think that that next level, being able to think through a game, see a game, read a game, the sooner you can be a master at that and a more complete master of that, the better you'll do in this offense. There's almost that element to it where it's who has the right answer to when Ryan Day comes to ask you a question about something. Whether you made the right decision out there or not, do you give him, he says, he says good information a lot of the times. Why'd you make that throw? Why'd you make that decision? Why'd you make that call at the line of scrimmage? And I think that will almost be a better tell of who's a better fit because 
They're both, to your point, Nathan, they both have the physical tools. Now, they might look a little di bit differently. I think Julian Sand is maybe a little bit better out of structure than what uh, uh, Aaron Nolan is, while Aaron Nolan is maybe more in the C.J. Stroud mode. I and mean, C.J. Stroud could do things out of structure, but C.J. Stroud was a guy who read it pre-snap and almost diagnosed it before anything was happening. He got the ball out of his hands quick, and I think Aaron Nolan is more like that. But which style, when, Ryan, when they make a mistake in practice or whenever we get to talk to them and we're just asking them football questions – I think you'll get a better read on which of these guys is a better fit for Ohio State. That's two questions. We're going to take a quick break right there, and we'll get more into our questions from our Buckeye Talk subscribers. Get the text at 3315 When we come back from this break, we'll get more into that here on Buckeye Talk. And we're back here on Buckeye Talk. Stephen means Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, and we're doing a quick rapid fire. This is actually one of our quicker rapid fires. We're actually moving through this, so I'm pretty proud of ourselves for this. 614 one five. If you want to sign up for the text, two week free trial, three ninety nine. After that, all news, all analysis. If you want to do surveys, if you want to ask questions, like this great question right here from the five one nine. What do you, what do you guys think Tim Walton and Brian Hartline do well that OSU has been lacking on the offensive line recruiting? It seems like we have been able to recruit every position at an elite level except on the line. Is it just that rare to find an elite recruiter? And we happen to have two of them in Tim Walton and Brian Hartline. Andrew, I'll start with you. Is it I, what? Is there something extra there when you kind of hit on an assistant coach who clearly has a knack for this recruiting thing? Is it parts of it that's in their control? What's out of their control? Is there a common denominator between guys that you see in they're good recruiters, whether it's guys in Ohio State staff or around the country, and guys who are maybe not as good at it? Yeah, I, I, there's a lot that goes into this, right? You know, it, it's more than just one thing. And I think to say it would be a catch-all, I think with the offensive line, I mean, we've talked about this a lot, Stephen. The offensive line is just a remarkably heavy and dependent development position, right? You know, I, I mean, we've talked about, you know, how recruit how recruiting rankings can be kind of construed as one thing where a certain player might be ranked as high or not as high as another player, but he fits another scheme better. You know, we, we use Michigan as a lot for that, but I think it's not so much with the offensive line. It's not so much a, you know, why aren't they getting this type of recruiting or anything like that? I think you can point to different things and say, Hey, you know, would have been nice to land this guy, you know, uh, you know, in the top 15 or, or this guy in the top 50 or whatever. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot kind of going on there, I think, with development that, that matters way more because we're talking about Jeremiah Smith being potentially a starter early at Ohio State, right? If Ohio State were to land, you know, David Sanders Jr. in the 2025 class, he's the number two overall player. Uh, he's an offensive tackle. He's not coming into Ohio State and we're saying, wow, like this guy might be the left tackle now. He would have to earn that, I think, and he would have to kind of prove that a little bit more than Jeremiah Smith might. They obviously both have a ways to go, but I just think you've got, you know, a development kind of curve with the offensive line that, that needs obviously kind of improvement that, that is obviously a big part of that position. And then when you talk about Brian Hartline and Tim Walton, there is an NFL aspect to this, right? You know, you, you talk about these players and, and kind of what they want to do and every player that, you know, goes to Ohio State or Ohio State kind of level programs, Alabama, Georgia, they all have NFL dreams and they all want to make it to the NFL. And a lot of these guys choose programs and coaches that can get them there. And 
if you have a coach who has either played or coached in the NFL, that's a big deal, I think, for a lot of these guys. So I'm not saying that's a prerequisite for success, but I do think that that does matter. And especially when, you know, you've got past success of doing it, it, it just kind of builds on top of itself, right? Like Ohio State receiver recruiting speaks for itself right now. Uh, Ohio State's cornerback recruiting in the next year or two is going to start to speak for itself right now, where or is going to start to speak for itself when you have you know first and second round picks just kind of coming out every year. So there's a lot that go that goes into this. I'm not going to say it's a catch all. There's one thing that Tim Walton and Brian Hartline have that Justin Fry or Larry Johnson or whoever don't. Um, I, I just think that there's so many different things to go into it. But uh, you know, development and and you know NFL experience I think kind of matters a lot to kids. Nathan, what makes a guy a good recruiter? What makes him a good recruiter? I mean, the results, I think, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it other than that. I mean, this is, this is a results-oriented profession. You don't get to be a guy um, that people just like. Uh, you still have to go out and do the job. And I think we've seen examples of that at Ohio State with with coaches who were by and large uh, well-liked guys but if there's a recruiting hole uh, they have to do something about it they have to move on and I am very intrigued by what Tim Walton has done because it's been right now what's happening with this 2025 class is kind of getting fused with this 2024 class and I guess what even started before that in 2023 with Jermaine Matthews and Calvin Simpson Hunt. But the 2024 class, it, it, so there's been an interesting um, mix here. Because we talked before about at offensive line, at defensive line, at some of these positions where sometimes you are fortunate to have five-star top 100 prospects in your backyard or in-state and how much easier it is to land those guys, even when you get good competition from other um, programs like they did for the 2024 guys, that it's that takes a, it, it doesn't prove your goods the same way it does to go to Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Texas, and get guys from there. And that's why this 2025 class feels not just like an extension of what Tim Walton has been doing, since he came here, but kind of a ramp up a different level of what he's been doing since he got here. And I think it's a really curious thing because not every guy who comes back from the NFL, as much as, as players respect that connection, uh, the prospects respect that connection as, as Andrew was saying, not every guy who comes back from the NFL has this kind of success back in college because it is, such a different world, and the recruiting is a big part of that. You know, one thing that kind of sticks out in my mind from the Big Ten is what happened with Lovey Smith at Illinois, a guy who had, by and large, had a lot of success in the NFL as a head coach and came to Illinois, and it just didn't work. And I don't think, in retrospect, I'm not sure it was ever going to work because he wasn't a college coach. And he had been so ingrained in the NFL mindset for so long at that point. So I, I had some questions about how Tim Walton was going to fit here. But from a recruiting standpoint, it, it's been pretty consistent since he got here. And 
if they could bottle it and just pass it around to the other coaches, then they would. It's obviously not that easy. You've got 10 distinct personalities on every coaching staff below the head coach. And sometimes it helps if you've got a GA in your group who is naturally better at this than maybe the GAs in some other rooms. I think that's that's a factor sometimes. But but we're also seeing from Tim Walton that this, it, I mean, he had influence in the Caleb Downs um, uh, acquisition, I guess, for lack of a better term. Like, his, his influence is broad across the whole secondary. It's not just the cornerback recruiting. And it, it kind of had to be to keep the, the, the safety recruiting where it needed to be these last couple of years. And he's obviously has a connection here. He connects with guys. And I, I think sometimes it, it is a little bit of an X factor. I think that you, as a head coach, you can go in and say, all right, here are the important things to remember. It's almost like you're, it's like you're a sales force to some extent, right? Like these are the salesmen for the program. They have to go out and try to sell players on Ohio State. And I've never been a salesman. But people who are in sales, I know that they go to seminars, they go to classes, they go to lectures or whatever that give them pointers on the best way to like close a sale. You can put 100 people in this room for the same class, but there's only going to be a couple that come out and execute it at a high level. And it's a lot of times it's just a, a thing that they have. It's an incomplete answer because I would like to be able to tell you what that thing is. For I think we've seen it for Brian Hartline already. I think you that one I feel like is a little bit more surface level for lack of a better term, right? Like it's just Brian Hartline is of an age and a background that he straddles the line between he's at, he's at almost at like the perfect spot of 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 just age and and background and everything. Um, he's an NFL guy, but he's also not that old. And he was not that long ago going for like a thousand yards in the NFL. But uh, so there's a lot of things coming t- together for him. With Walton, it's just a different background. He's not as young as Brian Hartline is. So I've been trying to figure out what the X factor is for him because he clearly has one. Hartline's a good comparison. You you kind of said it. He's just young enough to where people the kids he's recruiting can remember his NFL days. He's just old enough that he can actually be an authoritative figure in the room, but also he's just young enough that not only can you remember my NFL days, but when I'm showing, telling you and teaching you how to be a good receiver, I can like go out there and show you how to do it. Like physically, I'm still young enough to get out there and do the exact drill. So if you're not doing it right, I can show you you're not doing it right. And I th- Andrew, you'll get to see this a lot in the summertime during these camps and these one day camps when you get to see how hands on these coaches are. Brian Hartline does the drill with a lot of these kids. Every, Larry Johnson can't do the drill with some of these kids because he's in his 60s trying to teach 16 and 17-year-olds how to do it. So it's just a different dynamic. With Larry Johnson, it was father kind of fatherly figure is the way he would sell himself. Uh, Tony offered kind of the same way, father figure selling himself. With Ryan Day, it's, I'm really good at developing quarterbacks. You should come learn how to be an NFL quarterback for me. That's it's we talk about this a lot, Nathan, with quarterbacks. It's like, what's their special trait? 
Well, maybe you can apply that to recruiting. Okay, what makes you special? What makes you more unique than the other high-level programs in the country? And I think Tim Walton's is a little bit more more nuanced. I'll say every so often on their Twitter account, we'll put out these videos and these spoken word moments that Tim Walton has. You hear the players, they call him OG Walt. It is, it's almost this Brian Hartline, Larry Johnson combined. In a way, because he's not out there doing the drills with you, but he is he almost taps into something that has nothing to do with football on top of the fact that, oh, yeah, I'm also really good at developing football players. And it's interesting to watch him recruit. And I'm, I'll bring up Devin Sanchez in this situation, the top 10 player in the country, the number two cornerback in the country, one of the two, one of the three, excuse me, cornerback commits in the 2025 class. If you're on social media, Devin Sanchez's parents are like locked in. <laughs> and are heavily recruiting just as much as he is as a player. And that's partially Tim Walton and that he has an entire family so locked in on a situation that sometimes you don't always get recruiting. Sometimes there's mixed opinions about where a kid should go within a recruiting space. And it seems like Tim Walton has gotten that entire family, whether it's him or Naheem um, Offer, who just committed on Sunday, and in the same vein of he has the entire family locked in. And it's interesting to watch how that plays out in the situation. It's going to be interesting to learn more about why that is and why Tim Walton takes that approach, but also why is it working? So I, I agree with you. There's no right answer to this, but he has a unique way of going about things that's very unique to him and to bring the offensive line back into it. This is not saying Justin Fry doesn't have a unique way of going about things. It just means that whatever Brian Hartline and Tim Hart and Tim Walton and Larry Johnson's way of going about things just happens to work way more often. And some of that you can't teach some of that is just kind of you just have it or you don't have it just like other things in life from the 336 i just want to say real quick too though i i think one thing though that again i've never been a salesman but i think when you get one sale it can help get that second sale i think you can build momentum so i Mm. think one of the things that is missing like again when was the last time ohio state offensive line recruiting went out of the region and yeah. got a guy who didn't have Ohio connections. Like it's, it's not Paris Johnson. It's not, I mean, I, I do you want to say Matt Jones? I guess he's from Brooklyn. Does that, mm-hmm. does that count? But if you're talking about like upper echelon guys, it's not why that's an Ohio guy. Yeah. Harry Miller is like the closest one. Harry yeah. Miller. Harry is Miller, the closest one, Harry Miller and Wyatt class. Davis are the only two that I can think of off the top of my head in the last six or seven years here where it's like, I just came here because you guys were better at do, at recruiting me than everybody else was. Yeah, but like Wyatt Davis, Donovan Jackson, those guys had, had Ohio connections. Like, it's just been a long time since yeah. they had a win on the offensive line of a big guy from a different state that that is the Ohio State offensive line equivalent of the guys that they're getting now in 2025. The guys that Brian Hartline pretty consistently gets you know the next you know they just haven't been getting those guys and i think there is now once once one guy buys in the heart line and believes in him and comes to ohio state and has success <laughs> that makes it easier to get guy two guy seven same thing for tim walton when guys come here and they see how quickly these freshmen were able to get on the field this past year i guess m- mostly matthews that that thing that can build too that He's not even maybe even the best example of that, though, because those guys haven't played much yet, and he's still stacking classes without having seen those guys get on the field and have success. 
So I, I, I think for, for, from the offensive line standpoint, I think it's just that they need a win pretty badly. They need something to kind of change the narrative pretty badly because it just has seemed recently like, well, either it's going to be a, either there's going to, there better be a good like top 100 kid in Ohio or it's going to be a lot of developmental guys. And, you know, actually, that's a good point because it's either you get a kid to buy into something that ha- doesn't exist yet, or maybe you develop a guy better than what he was maybe expected to be. And Brian Hartline kind of had both of those things working for him at the same time at the start of this. Garrett Wilson signed up to be a part of a wide receiver room that was not doing this. He just believed in what Ryan Day was telling him about what they were going to do in the passing game. And then he committed in the spring of 2018, and then he watched Dwayne Haskins throw for 50 touchdowns, and then he signed a letter of intent. But at the same time, Chris Olave was a three-star recruit, and there's context behind why he was a three-star recruit. But the point of the matter is, Chris Olave didn't come in here, and people were thinking, oh, that dude's going to be a top 15 pick and a wide receiver one for the New Orleans Saints one day. And at the same time, Brian Hartline got both of those guys. He developed a five-star into a first-round draft pick who just believed in the idea of something while also turning a lower-rated guy into a first-round draft pick as well. And it does seem like with Tim Walton, in part, he didn't recruit uh, Denzel Burke. But Denzel Burke is clearly better than most people thought he was going to be as a recruit. So he had that going for him and what he's doing with him, what he's done with Davidson Igbenosin, what he's done with Jordan Hancock. Even all of that had to be... I'm telling I'm selling you to your point, Nathan. I'm selling you on this because we hadn't really seen it. Denzel Burke was kind of a last resort situation in 2021. Davis Eggmanosin wasn't here and Jordan Hancock showed up in June. And then in 2022, it didn't look great. And some of the reason it didn't look great is because of health. We have to put that into consideration. But it didn't look great, Tim Walton's first year here. So he's still selling. He's still selling the dream. And then this past year, we actually see proof of the pudding. And now kids are signing up for proof of the pudding. Justin Fry's first year here, he had Paris Johnson as an All-American and first tackle off the board in 2022 and then 2023 NFL Draft. And then at times this year, Paris Johnson was playing pretty well. He's a starter for the Arizona Cardinals right now. He didn't use that momentum to turn into something more on the recruiting trail. So now we're in a position where you're looking at a room that doesn't have a bunch of highly rated guys in it. Does he have a Chris Olave in that room, a guy that he takes from scratch and he turns that guy into something more than he's supposed to be because those are typically the two ways that I have seen at least in my time on the speed that the recruiting momentum starts to get there is you're either selling a dream and you eventually pay off that dream with the product or you take something that nobody thought was going to be much of anything and you turn it into something more which is the art of college football coaching that's why you get paid all that money to do it from the 336 is this 2024 OSU defense more loaded on paper than the 2021 Georgia defense? Obviously, that Georgia defense won a national title. They also did lose the game, so it's not like they went undefeated and won that national title. But they had five first-round draft picks all on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, Ohio State bringing back a, b- a bunch of talent and then adding, sprinkling in Caleb Downs on top of that as a second-team All-American as a true freshman. Nathan, is that on the table? Can, Ohio- C- can we get to February of next year and look back on this Ohio State defense and think it's as or more loaded than that 2021 Georgia defense was? On the table, yes. The number that really throws it is the five first-round draft picks. That's a lot. 
And that wasn't all on just that defense. That was, you know, it includes Jalen Carter the next year, right? Like it's not, that wasn't all just yeah. the 2022 draft. So this is, you know, I don't think they have five first rounders for the 2025 draft. When you include Caleb Downs, maybe, it, maybe they get to five. If they, maybe they, they could get to four for the 2025 and then, and then Downs after that. I, I don't know. That, if you're judging by that, that's just a high, high standard, dude. Like, I think they're only sending eight. Last year, they only sent eight players in total to the combine. <laughs> and Ohio State did. And I think it's probably going to be about the same number this year. And to think about five going in the first round is pretty nuts. Like three in 2019 or 2020 draft was pretty nuts. So that alone makes me a little bit skeptical of putting them in that same category. However, when you look like one through 11 on this defense, like let's, let's, let's look at it this way on the 2019 defense. You had Tough Borland, who was really like a you know a, a, mm-hmm. a practice um, squad guy, but got his NFL shot, but it didn't go deep for him. Um, I can't remember if Jayshon Cornell is still kicking around the NFL or not. Um, BB Landers might- never really took his NFL shot. Um, I'm just kind of trying to go down the list of the guys who were important players on that team, good players on that team, but who mm-hmm. weren't like NFL guys. And obviously Damon Arnett and the way that he kind of um, flushed out pretty quickly for, for personal reasons. I'm looking at this 2024 defense, and it's I'm just looking across the board, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy's going to the NFL. That guy's going to play in the NFL. That guy's going to be on a roster. That guy's going to be on a roster. That guy's going to be on a roster. I mean, who who right now would, like, project to have maybe the shortest – or I don't even want to – I don't even really want to even, like, go down that route because it sounds like we're trying to be negative in some way. But it's just like you can look position by position by position across this whole defense. And, I mean, I suppose you start talking about guys like Cody Simon, Ty Hamilton. I don't know. Those guys still sound like they're going to be in position to make NFL rosters someday to me. Um, and when you start talking about 1 through 11, not to mention like 12, 13 from this year's defense that mm-hmm. all seem like potentially rosterable NFL players, it might be deeper. It might not be as top heavy as that 2021 Georgia defense. It might be deeper. And that's what that was the thing about getting downs. Was that you go from a place where you're talking about, all right, well, we'll see. Malik Hartford, can he did he take a big step over the first year? Can he hold off Jahad Carter to be the adjuster? Like, or you start playing around like that, right? Well, now it's just like, oh, well, now we're just we're just gonna put an all-American there. And, and like those guys will disperse throughout the rest of the defense and be our depth. Like that's, that's kind of crazy. And um, it, it could be deeper than that 2021 Georgia defense. What do you think, Andrew? No, I, I think that that Georgia defense is probably kind of one of those defenses that's going to live in history and in infamy for a while. I, you know, I looked this up as Nathan was talking Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Nolan Smith, Quay Walker, and Lewis Seen were all first round picks. So like if you and, and now obviously not in the same year, but like you go through that with Ohio State's defense. Okay, you need all right, you know, uh Caleb Downs, he's a first round pick. I think we can very clearly say Caleb Downs is a first round pick, but then you need Caleb Downs, like to match that, you need six. So you need Caleb Downs, you need Denzel Burke, you probably need Davison Igbenosin, you need Jack Sawyer, JT Tumaloao. There's five, 
So that is that Tyleek Williams is a first round pick. Is that one of the linebackers? Like is um, Sonny Styles a first round pick? Like you, you kind of look at it and say like, hmm, I'm not sure. And then you go through, you know, Nathan mentioned the, the you know, the depth of that. Nicobe Dean, third round pick. Darion Kendrick, sixth round pick. Keely Ringo, fourth round pick. Christopher Smith, fifth round pick. The only, there was one player on that team who, or, or one starter on that team who didn't get drafted. So you had 10 players, 10 starters on that 2022 defense for Georgia, or excuse me, 2021 defense for Georgia that didn't get drafted or that, that did get drafted. I must, I messed that sentence up 10 ways to Sunday, but you see what I'm saying. Then you've also got backups. You've got Jalen Carter who did not start on that team. Like I, I just think that that team was, was really, really top heavy from the level of player that they, they had starting. but. You would have to be convinced that, oh, I'm trying to think of a good example, that like Aaron Scott is a great contributor in 2024 and is a future first round pick type of thing. You know, you need Kenyatta Jackson to be a great contributor and be a first round pick because that's the level that Georgia had, right? Like they, they had a ton of first round picks, but they also had, you know, contributing players that were first round picks that did get drafted. A handful of other guys got drafted on that defense. Um, you know, you had uh, Channing Tindall, Robert Beal, Amir Speed. Like they've got other depth guys too. So when when you talk about a defensive line that has all first round picks and then one of the backups is a first round pick in Jalen Carter, I just I think the the top heavy argument is 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 right. But I also think the depth argument with Ohio State, I think you can make a really good case that they're not going to match up there either. And I, again, I don't want that to sound negative. The 2021 Georgia defense was one of the best college football defenses of all time. It's just Ohio State's defense might be the best in the country, and that still might not stack up against 2021 Georgia. So we'll have to see. I just You need some guys to take some steps. Because if you, you run down the numbers, and, and I'm not saying that's impossible, but you run down the numbers and you kind of map out who you think could be a first-round pick, and you need someone to pop big time. Because JT Tumaloa and Jack Sawyer being a first-round pick is not crazy. Denzel Burke being a first-round pick is not crazy. Davison Igbenosin being a first-round pick is not crazy. Caleb Downs being a first-round pick is likely. But then it's like, all right, who's next? Is that Tyleek Williams? Is that Sonny Styles? Is that one of the linebackers? Like you, you look at a couple different spots and you're like, man, you need somebody to really elevate their play and kind of go from maybe that like third, fourth round range to first round range. And then to the depth point, you probably need somebody who's not starting to be a future first round pick that also contributes to Ohio State's 2024 defense. So I just, I just think 2021 Georgia's defense is they're, I think they're just too good to kind of compare yourself to. So I was ready to say no, and then I just heard, heard your guys' arguments, and I want to say yeah. I think they can match that, especially once you start listing off guys. It's like, and you just listed off all those guys and went, you need somebody, well, you need one guy. <laughs> you just yeah, listed sure. like five guys who I wish we knew their draft grades because this would make this a more interesting conversation because it if a lot of these guys came back because – Let's just say if JT, Jack, and Denzel specifically came back because they probably came into the season thinking they're going to play their way into the first round, and instead they played their way into their grade being somewhere between 60 and 70. Or no, not even 60 or 70, like 35 to 45. 
that's what Chris Olave was. And that's why he came back for his senior year and he ended up being a top 20 pick. I could see that very easily happening for those three players. Davis and Igbenosin's interesting because that's a dude who is only going into his third year. So he does not have to leave after next year. Sure. He can decide to come back for year four and then be, we can have this conversation about him in 2026. Caleb Downs, yeah, you're a top 10 pick. Congratulations to you. This is a, does something pop in CJ Hicks in year three conversation, which we have seen at Ohio State where guys go from, what the heck is going on there? To year three, they pop and they turn in the first round draft picks. We've seen that on defense. So that's a his conversation. This is a Sonny Styles conversation, of course. I think Jordan Hancock is interesting because his skill set is becoming more and more valuable in the NFL. The guy who can play inside and outside like that. And if his measurables next year in Indianapolis are just kind of off the charts. And it's like, oh, that's why Ohio State loved him so much. Maybe he gets into that conversation as well. But... I think the more important question with Ohio State's defense is can they match the production of what that Georgia defense was? And I think that's a resounding yes. Georgia, 4.15 yards per play in 2021. But also, as awesome as that defense was, they were flawed. They Alabama kind of threw the ball all over the place against them. That We have to remember that. And then Jamison um, Williams and John Mechie got hurt, and so they couldn't repeat that performance in the national championship game. I don't know if they'll get it either. Five is hard. Three is hard. You, you yeah. guys are right. So you're, you're asking something to happen that doesn't always happen. Right. I'm just, when you start listing off guys, I can visualize a world where it does happen, where things just pop. And so you're already at three or four, and maybe a couple of guys use the draft process to pull themselves over the top. I do want to ask one more thing, though, before we move on from this. And it is about, it's kind of a Ty Hamilton, Cody Simon discussion more than it is a the top tier guys conversation. Nathan, we covered Davon Hamilton and how well he played in 2019 and he turned himself into a third round draft pick. I don't think Ty has been that through his first four years here, but neither was Davon Hamilton. It kind of clicked in year five there. And then Cody Simon's been a consistent contributor for three years. I think the more important question here is when you look from one through 14, on Ohio State's defense, just in your head of the hierarchy of guys. If you look at the top 14 players on this defense, do you think all 14 of those guys get drafted in whichever draft they decide to go into? Um, good question. I think Cody Simon is maybe the one that I don't I have the most hesitation to say for sure he would get mm-hmm. drafted. Um, I mean, he's, been a, he, he's a very solid football player, no question yeah. about it. I think he can be an important part of this defense, especially because he gets to be – he doesn't have to go out and be a, a the, the superstar of this defense. Mm-hmm. And what he does can play well. But mm, I don't know if I would put a lot of money on all 14 getting drafted. It's just, though, that – I mean, to kind of go back to what Andrew was saying, you know, bringing up some of these examples, like, oh, it's like, it's like if Kenyatta Jackson um, is a important backup this year and then is a first round pick next year. Yeah. Like that stuff happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Jordan, and, and what's the, the true measure of how stacked this defense is right now is that 
a guy like Kenyatta Jackson is just immediately, oh, that's a backup. Like, yeah. we're not even talking about that guy being a starter. Like, that's a backup. Malik Harford and everything he did this past year as a true freshman, oh, he's a backup. Like, mm-hmm. we're just immediately just kind of dismissing. Like, you know, guys like Gabe Powers, maybe even C.J. Hicks, we don't know how much you're going to get on the field. That's how strong this defense is right now. So I do, at the end of the day, and I remember what the original question was from the from the texter, because it's like, if you want to judge it just on NFL uh, draft status too, remember that that isn't always an indication of college production. It's a measure of other things. It's a measure of mm-hmm. how they're projecting that athlete into the next level. And it it's completely within reach for Ohio State to have a better statistical season than that Georgia team did in 2021. Andrew, what do you think? The top 14, how deep would you go saying you're confident that this amount of the top 14 guys on the defense would get drafted? So that would be, so that would be the Hamilton Hicks. And then what's the third one? It's just whatever your top, the, the top fourteen. Player, I, oh, top fourteen. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, of, um, of that list, like how many of those guys? If I if we rank the top fourteen players right now, how many of those guys do you think get drafted in whichever NFL draft they end up in? I, I think would just to interject. I think there's also some guys who would not make the top fourteen right now who might be first round picks. Correct. Yeah, that that's kind of what I was thinking of because I was like, there yeah. are some there are some corners that you look at. Uh, you look at like Edric Houston. The, I, the reason I limited it to four, maybe you can go to sixteen because rotations and whatnot. I just didn't want to get too bogged down in right. Oh, there's two freshmen on this team who are going to be first round draft picks. Well, okay, but they're not playing this year. Like, the yeah, team, I wanted to limit it to guys who are going that we know are going but, to play meaningful snaps in twenty twenty four because that was because even you mentioned Jalen Carter with that Georgia team. He got meaningful snaps in 2021, even if he wasn't a starter. They just rotated nine guys on the defensive line. So that's why I said 14. Maybe I can go to 18 in that situation. But I wanted to make sure I wasn't – we're not including, like, true freshmen in this conversation. Yeah, I I would probably say I'm, I'm at, like, 13 out of that list, like that top 14. Like, I, you would probably say that, all right, does Cody Simon – like Nathan was saying, does Cody Simon get that call? Does Ty Hamilton get that call? It's just – you, you, you probably map it out, and I mean, all these guys are draftable. Um, you know, where? Who knows? I think. I mean, obviously, that depends on. Um, you know, that depends on the twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five seasons. I, like, I look at, you know, like one of the things that you know we were saying with like the first round picks. I was kind of counting them out. You know, you were saying, well, you only need one more guy. That doesn't also take into account that. Maybe a dude's progression stalls for whatever reason, you know, injury notwithstanding. A dude's for like Tyleek Williams, I think, for example, you know, he had a great year in 2023 and you just don't see that next step. And where does that leave him in the draft process? Right. Like, I I think that you can you can kind of map out some guys. Hey, what if you don't see what you need to out of one of the two edge rushers to be a first round pick? Like there's just a lot of different things that can go wrong. But a lot of these guys feel like they've got high floors in terms of getting an NFL shot because of the program that they play in, the games that they're about to play in. You know, if, I mean, if Ohio State makes the playoff in 2024, which, oh boy, they're, uh, if they don't make the playoff, that'd be something different. So they're going to make the playoff. But you're in the playoff, you win a game or two at least, and you're playing some big-time matchups. That's going to get you enough film to where you can play against a big-time opponent. You can show other teams, like hey, or show, show NFL teams, like, 
hey, look, I, I was in these kind of big time moments and I have this film against another NFL player. So I, I think that the floor of these guys is really high. The ceiling, I think you can debate. But yeah, the top 14, I'm I'm at like 13. And depending on how, you know, really like two or three guys go, you could probably make a case for like all 14 are draftable. They're going to get a draftable grade. I think that that might be the other important thing too, because you always hear about this in the NFL cycle where insert team here will be, oh, we had a fourth round grade on this guy. We got him as an undrafted free agent. And like, sometimes it just doesn't work out. So like Ohio State might have a bunch more guys with draftable grades and they just don't get picked. So that, you know, that is the one thing you wish you knew, but yeah, I, th- I think you're you're certainly shooting towards the high end of that number. That's fair. Okay, another recruiting element type of question from the five one three. I need an explanation on why signing day matters at all. Serious question. With no real rules on transfers, why does it matter? Julian Sands signed at Bama and left immediately. Can Buckeye Talk explain the rules around this and why should I care? So before we get into why they should care about signing day, because I think that's a discussion all in themselves. When your coach leaves, whether it's retiring, whether it's firing, or does what Jim Harbaugh does and takes a job somewhere else, or what Jeff Halfley did and leave in Boston College, there's a 30-day window that opens up for players to enter the transfer portal, even if we're not in the window of the actual transfer portal being open, which is why you're seeing that at Alabama, Boston College might go through this, Michigan might go through this, Washington going through this as well. So it's when your coach leaves, regardless of how he leaves, there is a 30-day window that opens up that allows this opportunity to happen. It's just, it's kind of been more of an abundance thing. It feels like a new coach is doing this every single week this year. So it's a, a few more players doing this. But Andrew, I want to start with you. We have the early signing period in December, and then we have what is going to be signing day on Wednesday. That's the, the typical, traditional period. But in this world of the transfer portal, NIL, recruiting is crazy. Does signing day still matter? Why should people still care about signing day? It matters, but just way less than it used to. Um, you know, signing day, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not saying this to wax poetically about the past. I don't want that is, I don't want that to come across as what I'm sounding like, but 2009, the first Wednesday of February, you sat down on ESPNU and you watched 12 hours of signing day coverage and you knew those dudes were going to be there for four years. And you knew that for a couple of different reasons. Number one, because that was when they all signed. And that, that was the decision that they had made. They were, you know, number one players in classes were signing. Uh, you know, I, I was doing some, you know, when I was looking up Ohio State stuff, you know, you just look back at like the Eric Berries and the Jimmy Clausens and the Joe McKnights and the, all the all the elite level prospects of like 07. They all sign either at or around signing day. And a lot of these guys have these kind of moments. And now it just recruiting happens so early that that isn't the case. So you knew those dudes were going to be around for four years because if they were to transfer, you, you bake into the model that you're sitting out a year, right? Like that was the, that was the idea of, of the transfer, right? That if you wanted to transfer from Ohio state to Indiana, you're sitting out a year. That was why a lot of dudes went to go play it. You know, Hey, I'm going from, you know, Penn State to play at Appalachian State 
because they needed to play immediately and they didn't want to sit out a year. So you, you look at signing day and I get the frustration from fans. It's, I mean, it's frustrating for everybody because Ohio state signs, you know, 21 players and in the back of your mind, you're kind of thinking how many of these dudes are going to be around on January 1st, 2026, you know, how many of these dudes are going to be here because not everyone is going to be a hit. You might think a player is a lock and, and, and that's going to be a huge deal, but not everyone's going to hit. So I, I get it. Um, it does matter less because player mobility, they can move around to different places. Uh, they can go to different programs. They can do different things. I think it does still matter because that is when it kind of culminates because you got like, if you commit to Ohio state or to Penn state or to Texas or whoever, their programs don't back off, right? Like we saw this with Jeremiah Smith. Jeremiah Smith was being courted literally after he pulled an Ohio state hat out of his bag on signing day and committed to Ohio state officially and like signed his name on a piece of paper that actually wasn't his national letter of intent. Like Miami and Miami and Florida state were still interested in this man and still texting this dude all day, trying to get him to trying to get him to flip his commitment. So it matters in the way of this is now what you know the class is where it, previously you kind of knew what it was. Now it's, it's, it's kind of a free for all for a lot of kids up until signing day. There are some kids that are locked in and you can tell which kids are locked in and ah, you know what? My recruitment shut down. I'm going to, I'm going to Indiana. I'm going to Maryland. I'm going to Ohio state. I'm going to wherever. And there are some kids where their recruitment stays open up until the last literal day. So it matters in the way that you want to know kind of the finality of the class, but it certainly matters less because you could commit a year and a half before national signing day and then it's over. And then the last second you flip and that's, that's all she wrote. Nathan, why does signing day still matter? Well, I was in the team room this year for signing day when Ryan day pretended to almost faint over the Jeremiah Smith news. I was there when he left in the middle of a answer to one of my questions to go get on the phone uh, with Edric Houston, we believe. Um, or I think, it, yeah, that was confirmed. He confirmed that. Um, I was there in 2020, December, 2022 on signing day when he walked in and was very, um, uh, somber about how signing day had gone that year and especially where things maybe were related to NIL and how that played into it. So I know signing day is massively important still uh, because there is a deadline. Like signing day, the early signing period, the late signing period, those are deadlines. Like you are competing to get guys by those times. And yes, there is more player movement. It's easier player movement. It's more abundant player movement. Yes, that is true. However, you would rather have the guy first than have to try to go get him later. Like Ohio State is super happy that it has Caleb Downs today. 100%. No question. It was it, it was in a good position to be a team that he considered and or chose if he ever went in the transfer portal from Alabama. But Ohio State didn't know Nick Saban was going to retire. And I don't know if Caleb Downs would be leaving Alabama if Nick Saban didn't retire. 
Ohio State would rather have just signed Caleb Downs in the first place on for signing day 2022. You know what I'm saying? So it is still massively important because it has that deadline on it and there is that finality. And yes, it's true that um, there isn't as much like intrigue on signing day in some ways, unless it's the flips. But you're right. In the back in the day, it used to be well this future NFL Hall of Famer is considering one of four schools, but there's been like no lead up to it as far as like where people, now the commitment is become a thing, but that's also a byproduct of the way that the industry is covered too, I think. So I still think it's massively important. And I think you could tell on Ryan Day's face, each of the last two signing days, how important it is that um, even though, yes, you can go repair your hits and your, your misses and your your weak spots in the future, you'd rather just take care of it on that day when you're competing with every other school in the country to land the best players. When you're Ohio State, it's the ultimate temperature check about where your program is and how healthy it is, especially because of the way they use the transfer portal. They didn't use the transfer portal any differently this time around than they did the last couple of years they used it, it was just more holes to fix, right? Whether, and also Caleb Downs is Caleb Downs. Yeah, some of them weren't even holes. Like, you know saying? Caleb Downs, those weren't holes. Yeah, like, that's just, like, a good player wants to come here. Okay. Quinchon Judkins wasn't a hole. They were just, so, yeah, yeah, I would say it is different than what they were doing before because before they really were only plugging holes. Well, I wouldn't say that because – if they don't get Quinshawn Judkins, you're going into a season you've only got three running backs. Now, the, the the level of caliber of player is, to your point, yes, it's they went and got the best possible player they could get, but they did need to go get a running back out of the transfer portal regardless of what Travion Henderson did this offseason. It's just it didn't matter whether he left or not. They were just going to go get a dude. But everywhere else, outside of the Julian Sand, which is a recruit, man, it's just that, that's a recruit more than it is a transfer. He was at Alabama for 25 minutes. Caleb Downs is Caleb Downs, so you don't tell him no. But all the other ones, you weren't sure about your quarterback position, so you went to the portal. Your offensive line wasn't great last year, and center play wasn't great, so you went to the portal to find a center. You needed help at tight end, so you went to the portal to find a tight end. For the most part, Ohio State's portal additions were very similar to what they've always been because they want to build a team through recruiting. And to your point, Nathan, in 2022, when we were in there for signing day for the 2023 class, it was somber. It did not feel great if you were a fan on signing day. It did not feel great if you were in that building about where things were headed because the recruiting wasn't where it needed to be. They were missing on some guys because of of a new element. At least that's how people in that program felt. They felt like they fixed that, that problem. And it led to a better year in 2024. And so far in 2025, it's leading to a much better year, especially on the defensive side in the recruiting. Signing day isn't the big, to Andrew's point, holiday. You're sitting in front of your TV for 12 hours watching, oh, who's next? Who's the five-star? Where's this five-star going to go? Where this five-star is going to go? But it is more of you just find out how healthy your program is. And if your program is still headed on the right direction, based on what your class looks like, but then also when your head coach goes up there to talk in front of us and we're asking them questions, is it a bunch of, hey, you knocked it out the park here. Hey, you landed this good guy. Or is it, Ryan, what's up with the offensive line recruiting? Ryan, why aren't the defensive line 
what's up with the defensive line recruiting? Where are the defensive recruits? Why is it only quarterbacks and wide receivers? But when it feels like how it felt this past year, where it wasn't perfect, we're not saying it was perfect, but it was a much different tone, and the question seemed almost more optimistic about the future than it did a year ago, that's why signing day matters now in comparison to what it mattered in to begin with. Is Now it's like the ultimate thermometer of is your championship-level program still going out there in this world where you could be losing talent every single year, whether it's to the NFL or to the transfer portal or graduation, are you still replenishing your roster with talent? And signing day still tells us yes or no. Well, I, so I, I just want to add in something too. You can swing things in a good direction. You can kind of let people know. You mentioned, is the program in a good direction? You can also kind of tell, or in a good place, you can kind of tell if it's going in a bad direction or a good direction. Because think about where we were in the morning of signing day when we were like, Edric Houston might, he might go to Alabama. And Edric Houston might flip, and Jeremiah McClellan might flip, and that one's not as big a deal, but like, uh uh-oh, Ohio State might have one defensive lineman in this class and an offensive line that's not great, and you can kind of see maybe some some trends that are worrisome where you you could do things great the entire cycle, and in the last week, you lose some momentum and you lose a kid. Or it could be vice versa, where you're playing catch-up a whole cycle, and then all of a sudden on signing day, you get it together and you figure it out, and like, there can be kind of positive signs both in the short term and the long term too. So yeah, I, I like that point where, you know, you can, ke- you can tell the direction of your, you can tell like the health of your program, but you can also tell maybe the direction things are heading and which kind of way the winds are blowing a little bit. I thought that was a healthy question. Well, five or six questions. We kind of ran through them a little bit faster on the spot, but get the text 614-350-3315. If you want to ask riveting questions like that, that, Get pretty interesting discussions out of all of us. 614-350-3315, two-week free trial, 399 after that. The rest of this week of pods, we're expecting to get Ryan Day on Wednesday. And it will be the first time he has spoken since the Cotton Bowl. So there will be plenty of questions about everything you can think of under the sun, from coaching decisions to portal decisions to quarterback decisions to literally everything else you can think of. So you got to get the text for that, 614-350-3315. We're going to do a pod this week just evaluating Ryan Day's hiring practices. He's been in this for now five years, and he's had to replenish the staff a couple of times. So we're just going to look back on how he's done and maybe what his performance has looked like from that aspect of being a head coach. And potentially this week, we're going to do the tears pod. We've been teasing this pod for a month and a half and things kept happening. So it was like, we can't do it yet because we don't know this yet. We, we can't do it now because everything has calmed down now for the most part in terms of the top of college football and maybe the bottom, maybe the middle of the a little bit so that those that's the schedule for this week we're talking to ryan day we're going to talk about ryan day and we're expecting to do a tears pod that will be the pod schedule for this week so follow along all week long and get the text 614-350-3315 for nathan baird and for andrew gillis i'm steven means and that was buckeye talk